0: Welcome into the New Orleans Saints podcast. I'm Caroline Gonzalez, joined on the show today by John DeShazer and Jeff Duncan from The Athletic. Jeff, how are you holding up over
1: there? Oh, Caroline, I'm hanging in there like everybody else. Uh, you know, it's Groundhog Day in New Orleans, <laughs> but uh, you know, things could be worse. I try and gain perspective on the situation we're in. And uh, JD, I know you remember, this kind of reminds me of post-Katrina New Orleans in a lot of ways driving around very uh, you know empty streets uh, you know kind of an empty city in a lot of ways very quiet you can hear the birds but the difference is you know everybody's inside their houses whereas post Katrina New Orleans everybody was gone Uh, but it does have that kind of surreal feel to the city I'm just glad we had the draft last week to have something to talk about sports wise
0: yeah between that the last dance in the rebirth game I feel like I've had a little bit um, of of sports to kind of tap into. But I think the last time we talked, Jeff, you were, um, I don't remember if you were completing or still working on your book. Where are you at with that right now, since you've had plenty of time to work on it?
1: Yeah, you know, that's funny. I tell everybody uh, I've kind of been in self-isolation and quarantine for about three months or, you know, four months, because the last two months of the NFL season and into January, I was finishing the manuscript on this book. Uh, So I was basically holed up in my home office working by myself feverishly trying to get that book done. And it's right now in the kind of the editing revision stage and we're getting ready to send it off for layout and then I'll get it back. So it's due out in October. It's on uh, Sean Payton and Drew Brees and really gets into the, um, the nuts and bolts of how they put together this offense and what makes Breeze and Payton and their unique partnership, um, you know, so prolific. And I make the argument in the book that it's the the greatest offense in NFL history. We've we've now seen it for a decade and a half. They've been able to evolve and stay ahead of the competition when a lot of other great offenses have kind of petered out. We saw what happened in St. Louis with the greatest show on turf. Uh, The old air Coriel chargers did not last nearly this long. Uh, so, I think it's a testament to the ingenuity and creativity of Sean Payton, the greatness of Drew Brees, that they've been able to kind of maintain this level of
2: offensive uh, proficiency over such a long period of time.
0: Now, I have this a question. Is funny. For-
2: this is funny, but it ain't funny. Uh, Dunk's been holed up in the house <laughs> in his cave, and now when it's finally time to come out, he can't come out.
0: <laughs> right, okay. exactly. Good point. <laughs> um, now, this question is for both of you guys because you guys have a pulse on. Uh, Sean Payton and Drew Brees, and so whenever Drew Brees announced that he was coming back, uh, you know some people were surprised, some people weren't. Uh, but it seems like the last like what three years now, the Saints have had pretty unfortunate endings to their season, and it just seems like time and time again we say, you know Drew wouldn't want to go out like that, uh, but at some point, you know father time's going to catch up to you, and it's it's going to be time to go. But What was your reaction when you heard that Drew was coming back? Were you surprised yourself? Or did you know he was coming back because of his competitive nature?
1: Well, uh, you know, it didn't surprise me. I'd actually had a sit down, my final sit down for the book project with Drew uh, right after the season. So we talked a lot about this and I knew it was going to be a difficult decision for him and that it would involve a lot of different people, his inner circle, his family. Uh, but at that time, I'll be honest with you. I think he was leaning toward retire retiring. Um, I think it was that close. But I think the further he got from the season, uh, you know, there's so much emotion with a season-ending loss like like they had against Minnesota. I think the further he got from it, he he realized he had a, an opportunity to come back with a with with a great team. I mean, let's face it. This team remains one of the Super Bowl contenders in the league. And I don't think, frankly, he didn't tell me this, but I just don't think he wanted to go out with that loss on in, in the end of his career. I really right. believe he wants to have a better ending uh, you know, to his his story. And uh, so I think he got motivated like he always does. And I've heard he's been extremely motivated out in California right now, um, more so even than a year ago. Uh, and you know how he's wired. I think he's going to come back uh, guns a-blazing this year. But I, I do think all signs – point to this maybe being his last season. But I think that'll be Drew's decision uh, after the season.
2: Yeah, I I didn't think he was leaning toward retirement at all. I, I, just, I just felt like he was going to come back. And then seeing him at the Pro Bowl, it just made me feel more that, you know, it, he was definitive about, you know, he was going to be back. And I know he said he wanted to take a month and, and that kind of thing. But I just always felt like he was going to come back. I'm with Dunk. I know he didn't want to go out this way and not that it was reflected poorly on him as much as he felt like he's really in a window where this team could do something. This team could win one. This team definitely uh, wouldn't be going, shouldn't be going out in, in a wild card game at home. So, yeah, I, I thought he was going to come back for that reason, and, and he's still playing at a high level. And I think knowing that he's with a complete team where he doesn't have to save the Saints every week, now, he doesn't have to be perfect every week. Now, you hear him talk more and more now about um, um, no, there's no such thing as, 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 you know, you know a bad profit. You know, just take a check down, punt yeah. it, get the ball back, and that kind of thing. And you look statistically, his percentages keep going up, completion percentages, because he's taking less risks because he's playing with better teams. So I think he's, he feels like this is a really good chance to go out uh, the right way now, and I do believe – like dunk, this that this is going to be the last one. I think this is going to be his going quote unquote last dance because you know the TV contracts already set up, uh, the succession plans already in place, and so I think it's just all set up for this to be his final season.
0: Well, he has to be stuck between a rock and a hard place, right? Because you guys have both said he doesn't want to go out the way that the last few seasons have ended, but you only have so much control over that, right? Like you can control what you do and to some respect what the team does, but if the season ends the way it does, like it has the past few seasons, you can only do so much about that, and eventually you might have to go out the way you don't want yeah,
2: to. But, yeah, but the first thing about it, three, three straight years, the first two were flukish, you know, the Minnesota miracle, flukish. Um, the the non-pass interference calling the Superdome against the Rams, flukish. Right. This is the one where they legitimately got beat. Minnesota just got them. You know, and they were a better team that day. And I don't think, you know, nine out of ten times that Drew Brees of the Saints would feel like Minnesota was a better team. Mm. That's why I think he didn't want to go out that way. And that, not that you want to go out on a flukish play either, but I definitely feel like, you know, he feels like they, he's got as good a team as he's going to have. You know, why not make another run at it?
1: Yeah, it goes back to what Sean Payton says a lot. He quotes Bill Parcells, as you all know, all the time, his mentor and, Parcell's philosophy was, you know, you need to be one of those 12 relevant teams that gets in the playoff mix every year and eventually you're going to break through, but you just got to be in the tournament every year to kind of have a chance. And the the New England Patriots are a great example of that. They get there every year. Sometimes they get beat on a flute play like David Tyree or a late interception against the Seahawks. Sometimes they win by coming back from a 28 to three miracle or they win on a, you know, a flute play themselves that's the, that's the point. You just got to get in the mix. And I think Drew looks at it and says, you know what, we're going to be back in the mix again this year. Eventually our odds are going to play into our favor.
0: Gotcha. Good point. Good point. Um, so obviously this past, was that last weekend? Yes. This past weekend. Yes. Okay. This past weekend we had uh, the draft. So some kind of sport, something to pay attention to. Um, I know on your podcast, Duncan Holder podcast, you and Larry and uh, Catherine Terrell, kind of talked about the draft leading up to it, your mock drafts and things like that. What did draft weekend look look like for you and and for those of you at the athletic desk?
1: Well, I'll tell you, I I think for the first time in a while, I had a really good beat on this draft. Uh, You know, I'm not patting myself on the back, but it just, I don't know how. I I felt like everything played out the way I thought it would. Uh, You know, the Saints have such a deep, talented team You knew that they were going to do everything they could to move around and get in that top 100, so to speak, in the first three rounds. Uh, That made a lot of sense to me. It didn't make any sense to bring back a bunch of sixth and seventh round draft picks. They're not going to make this team. We saw it a couple years ago where a lot of their draft picks didn't make the roster. And I think quality over quantity uh, was the right strategy for this draft. I think the picks made sense when you know what their areas of need are. And also, I think we now have enough of a body of work with Jeff Ireland running the draft, knowing the philosophy of personnel that he has, Sean Payton, Mickey Loomis, the brain trust of the Saints. It's kind of easy, frankly, to winnow out a lot of the players that aren't going to be, quote, unquote, Saints players. And so you can kind of focus in on guys like Cesar Ruiz, Zach Vaughn, Adam Trotman. They're, they're the kind of guys that we've seen now coming into this locker room uh, with the makeup, and uh, you know, the profile, the prototype. Uh, so I, I felt like it was all three of those guys made a lot of sense for the Saints. I love what they did. Uh, I shouldn't, I don't want to leave out Tommy Stevens either, four picks, but I love what they did. I thought that their draft could not have gone better.
0: I don't know if I should be asking this on our podcast or not, but do we have a clear answer on if it's Caesar or Cesar? Because I've heard both, and people t- keep trying to convince me either way, and I really don't know if it's Caesar or Cesar.
1: I don't know. Maybe we should ask Bobby Abear. He's always good at those kind of things. (laughs) See see what Bobby says and we'll go with it. It'll be a Cajun version of Caesar. You know,
2: we got we just gotta ask his mom. We gotta ask his mom. Mama call him Clay, I'm gonna call him Clay. So, So I I think it's been Caesar because that's what um I think Jeff Ireland called him Caesar. Now that doesn't guarantee that is correct, but I think Jeff said Caesar, but Hey, I don't know. We'll ask him when we see him, I guess, because you know, no, I don't think anybody actually asked him, how do you pronounce during,
0: Yeah, during the draft, people called him Cesar, and then he himself, like, have, has responded to both, so I really don't know which one it is. I guess it's one of those things we'll have to ask. But, Jeff, what did you think um, about when they went with Caesar with Cesar, Cesar <laughs> when they went with an offensive lineman in, in the first round? What, what was your thought process on that? Because I know you guys talked about maybe – uh, going after Patrick Queen, the linebacker position. But what was your thought on the, on the offensive
1: lineman? Yeah, I was never high on the Patrick Queen train. And, and that was because of, of the prototype we talked about earlier. The Saints like their linebackers, 6'2", 6'3", 230, 240. Uh, Patrick Queen's an undersized guy. And it doesn't mean he's not going to be a great player. I, I think he'll be a, a perfect fit in Baltimore. But he's not the Saints type of, of player uh, at that position. Now, they might have taken him in the third round or maybe even the lower second round, but not that high. That, that's how they get downgraded because they don't fit the prototype. And the, the offensive lineman made sense to me because of the flexibility he has. I think people forget, I mean, this kid's 20 years old, so he's got a really high upside. He started a lot of games at a high level in the Big Ten. He played guard. He can flip between guard and center, just like Eric McCoy. And now that gives him flexibility going forward at a critical part of your offense, the offensive line, we know the Saints have invested highly in that uh, area of their team throughout their Sean Payton tenure. Now they've got Taryn Arnstead locked up. They just signed Andres Pete to a multi year deal. Uh, Ryan Ramczyk, you know, is going to be part of this team for a long time. Uh, we don't know what's going to happen in the future with Larry Warford. This now gives them some flexibility at a quote unquote cheap rate, at a rookie rate going forward when they're getting ready, probably, to sign Ryan Ramczyk to a long term lucrative deal.
0: Katie, I don't know if you're going to ask a question. Sorry. Um, as far as the undrafted free agents go, we know that you you both have said that you really like, you know, the the four picks that the Saints have had did in the draft. But as far as undrafted free agents, is there anyone that you've seen a name on that you particularly like or think that they're going to make this roster? Because as you said earlier, this is going to be a really tough roster for anyone to kind of break through. We know Deontay Harris did it last year, but This is still a really good team, and it's going to be tough.
1: Yeah, look, I I don't know if I know necessarily names, but I think positions, there's some opportunity there for a cornerback, maybe a backup tackle, uh, because I think those are areas that this team did not really get a chance to address in the draft. I think cornerback in particular, uh, because once you get past maybe their top four guys, there's going to be an open spot there, I think, to compete for. And it wouldn't surprise me, if they brought in a veteran on a minimum salary at each of those spots to also throw into the mix. We've seen them do that in the past. Uh, As we've learned over the years, covering the saints, a man cornerback position, you can't have enough good ones. Uh, It seems like those guys get hurt a lot just because of the nature of how much running they do. Uh, So I think the more you can have there, the better. And, And that's a critical spot as we've seen this off season, man. I mean, the Bucks have brought in Tom Brady and Rob Gronkowski. We know their receiving core. We've seen what Atlanta does offensively. Who knows what Joe Brady's going to do in Carolina. I mean, you're going to have to be good and sound on
2: the back end to compete in this division. Yeah, I'm definitely going to dunk on that. I think, there's got, I think there's room for a cornerback on this team. They brought in the kid from the X, XFL. Uh, he might have an opportunity, but I think one of the undrafted guys will certainly have some chances in that secondary especially at cornerback. And maybe at receiver. We saw Emmanuel Butler last year, but Beyond the top two, really, Michael Thomas and Emmanuel Sanders, there's some questions. I know they like, you know, um, um, Traquan, but Traquan's been injured. He hadn't necessarily been as involved as they need him to be. And so there's probably room there for somebody to maybe slip in, and that might be Emmanuel Butler from last year, or it might be uh, an undrafted kid. So, you know, I think there's some room, uh, some flexibility on on this roster for some of those spots.
0: Yeah, I'm gonna make myself sound really bad. But Jeff, uh, whenever the Saints signed it Ema- signed Emmanuel Sanders, uh, I texted him because for the longest time, I had everyone's tweet notifications turned on. And I was like, why is everyone freaking out about Emmanuel Sanders? Like, yeah, he was good during training camp. But like, I don't, I don't understand why why everyone's freaking out. And I had his name mixed up with Emmanuel Butler, and I was like, "Oh my gosh, this is a completely different person." Yes, everyone should get excited about Emmanuel Sanders. Um, but yeah, exciting to see. Uh, excited to see what Emmanuel Butler does because of his training camp standout last season. But uh, Jeff, what do you think about the quarterback room this year? We heard from Jameis Winston yesterday. and What do you think about that quarterback room with him, Taysom, Tommy, Jameis?
1: Yeah, look, it's going to be fascinating. Uh, I think the Saints have set themselves up very well for the post-Drew Brees era. I mean, we're assuming this is going to be Drew's last year. It might not be, but let's just go into that assumption. Now they've got a former number one overall pick, a guy that uh, has operated in a couple of systems, has not been extremely successful or efficient, but who has, everyone agrees, has enormous talent, who has been to the Pro Bowl before, uh, thrown for 5,000 yards. You've got Jameis Winston in a direct competition with Taysom Hill. We know how much Sean Payton and the offensive staff like Taysom Hill. Uh, they invested in him pretty significantly here in the past week. Uh, I think it's a great situation. They're going to probably compete for that spot. And both of those guys, I'm sure, are convinced that they can be a franchise quarterback. Uh, and what better place to be than on this team uh with that talent around them, a, a fortified offensive line that's set all these playmakers in the in the offense uh, offensive arsenal around them. Uh, I think it's gonna be fascinating to see how it plays out. And I, I don't think anybody knows who's gonna win that job down the road, but I think it's pretty clear that it's gonna be those two guys.
2: Yeah, I think this one year here, whichever way it goes for for James Winston, I think could be one of the most critical years of his career because this is a system or a coaching staff that'll tell him, look, you don't have to go for the home run. You don't have to convert third and 15. We're not looking for you to convert third and nine. Play it safe, kick it away, let the defense get out there, get a stop and get the ball back, as opposed to him always feeling like he's got to play some hero ball. And, you know, Drew Brees had to play hero ball for a good portion of his career here. The only difference was he was a lot more efficient. And Drew's bad year was, you know, 40-plus touchdowns and 18 interceptions, (laughs) whereas Jameis's was 33 touchdowns and 30 interceptions. But if they – you know, they always said in Tampa, if you could just get Winston's turnovers down, he would be fine. Never got the turnovers down with Tampa. But in this team, with this system and these players around him, maybe you can coach him into taking that small profit and holding on to the football and not turning the ball over. And if you can get him into that mindset – you know, there's no such thing as a bad profit. You know, there's no such thing as, as throwing, you know, there's no, bad, there's no bad thing about throwing it away and living for another down. And you might be able to get him to be a lot more successful.
1: Look, and I agree with J.D. I think that's a great point. This is a, a crossroads season for Jameis Winston. If he can't do it here in this system with this offensive coaching staff and, and convince them, uh, he's already basically failed with Dirk Cutter. Uh, Bruce Arians gave up on him. And if Sean Payton gives up on him, I think it's going to be difficult for him to convince other teams that they can they can turn his his career
0: around. What about Taysom Hill? Do you think we see uh, the same amount or a little bit less production out of him as far as special teams, other the million positions that he's played? Because we heard during his conference call he thinks uh, you know he'll focus a little bit more on quarterback, but still you know do whatever the team needs him to do. What do you think we'll see out of his production?
1: I think it's going to be – I mean, Taysom said as much the other day, I think it's going to look a lot like the Vikings game in the playoffs Mm -hmm. where he – I think he had about 25 touches in that game. But I do think where he he gets dialed back is special teams. That's the area they can dial him back. I think they've done a lot of work in this offseason of bringing in guys on special teams. That could be where Tommy Stevens makes the roster. I doubt he will, but they're going to have somebody play some of those roles that he played in the past. And we'll see him maybe taking a few more snaps at quarterback – uh, but I don't think uh, he's ever going to usurp, you know, Drew Brees in terms of how many snaps he sees a game. But I think it'll be uh, more as a utility player like we saw against the Vikings.
2: Yeah, I think he'll really be strictly offense. Um, I, I think the special teams snaps, unless there's some kind of emergency or something. Maybe if it was a playoff situation or something like that, you want to, you definitely want to have your best guys on the field. But regular season, I don't think he'll be – I don't think we'll be seeing him rushing the punter or going <laughs> – you know on the kickoff team trying to make a tackle I think those days for him will be over because he's too valuable now offensively especially if he's going to be your really number two quarterback.
0: All right guys I want to talk a little bit about New Orleans and uh, the culture right now because obviously things are shut down a little bit. Jeff how are you surviving without Clancy's? Are you? Are you doing drive-by? Are they one of the uh, the curbside pickup locations?
1: So look, Camp Clancy's is a block away from my house. So that's why it's become my go-to spot. Um, It's a great neighborhood place. I can't wait till it reopens. I think the opening night is going to be epic in Clancy's. It's such a neighborhood institution. There are people that have worked there for over two decades, a lot of people. uh, And the people that go there have been going there for decades. So it's just a unique New Orleans uh, restaurant. And much like you see around the rest of the city, right? There's all these these kind of singular one-off institutions. I think of Commander's Palace, places like that. Uh, so I'm looking forward to it, but no, I'm dying. I'm jonesing <laughs> for Clancy's. There's no doubt about it. Uh, and then look, we're, that's what makes you know, New Orleans such a special place to live is the culture here. Eating out is part of what we do. I mean, it's part of how we socialize, how we network and communicate with each other, more so than... Any city I've lived in, uh, going out, uh, whether it's going to restaurants, bars, festivals, it's, it's New Orleans is a get outside type of place to live. And right now, I think we're all in that same boat as far as
2: longing to get back to that sense of normalcy.
0: Especially if you're JD, because he can't cook. So
2: <laughs> You know, she said that a few times to somebody who lives on hummus. So I don't know what she <laughs> gonna- <Exactly. laughs> I I do have to dial back. Uh, you know, retrace our steps here for one second, though, because Duncan and correct correct me if I'm if I'm wrong. You believe this Saints roster is the most talented under Sean Payton, or one of the most?
1: No, I think it's definitely the most. I mean, when you look at the fact there were 11 players that went to the Pro Bowl last year. I, look, I'm basing a lot of it on some analytics. The Pro Football Focus, uh, analytic website, has the Saints with seven elite players graded on their grading system. The next team in the league has five, and that's the defending Super Bowl champion, Kansas City Chiefs. No other team in the league has more than three. So that means the Saints have twice as many elite players. Uh, According to Pro Football Focus, they also have very few holes in this team. And, J.D., you alluded to what Drew Brees uh, talked about earlier. This team, I think, defensively is sounder and certainly better on special teams than they were even in the Super Bowl year. I think 2011 Mm -hmm. was a more dynamic offense, I mean, that's mm-hmm. the best offense the Saints have ever had, in my opinion. Uh, may have been the best team, most talented team. But all around, this team I think is better. And I think an- another kind of overlooked factor is the coaching staff. This is a very good staff. They've been together four years now. There's continuity. They know what they want to do. They they know about personnel. You've had Jeff Ireland now in the front office for five years. Uh, the stability and continuity of the entire organization is unprecedented around the NFL. So I think all those factors lead this to lead into making this team the best they've ever had. And I I think you have so many players in their mid-20s, in the sweet spot of their careers. They've been in the league long enough to know what to do, uh, but they're still young enough to be able to do it. And Drew Brees talks about that a lot. As your career goes, you kind of go through this arc of, of your mental knowledge uh, but your physical ability goes down the other way. And I think these guys are right at the nexus of the sweet spot for that.
0: J.D., anything else to add? I'm sorry, I didn't mean to limit your questions
2: there. No, 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 We're good, you know, unless I want to say something else about your cooking, we're good.
0: Okay. Um, last thing I'll ask, you guys, J.D., have you ever been to Jazz Fest? Are you a Jazz Fest person?
2: I went to Jazz Fest last year for the first time because – and and I say that, and people look at me like I got two heads or something. But, <laughs>
1: That's mind-boggling. How, no, the first because, time,
2: but, yeah, because it's always been either some Saints goings on or some basketball or something happening to where I hadn't been able to really do a jazz fest, or you know, I was covering the golf tournament. It was always something happening that I didn't do a jazz fest. And then it got to the point where, you know. A couple of times, maybe, you know, I'm a contrarian, as, you know, most people know. So then it got to be like, like kind of vote just to be able to say, no, I ain't do it because, you know, just <laughs> didn't do it. <laughs> <So> <laughs> last, year, last year, a friend of mine got some tickets on Shaka Khan Day. And so I was like, you know what? I'm going out there to see Shaka Khan. So she does all the Rufus stuff and all that grace. And I mean, it was fantastic. And then, of course, Frankie Beverly closed it out. And even though Frankie's voice is going... It's still Frankie Beverly Mays and he still was able to kick it up at the age of 70 plus or whatever Frankie is now he might be 170 I don't know but you know it it wound up to be a, you know a great experience I you know outside of you know the, the the smell of the fairgrounds it was pretty cool.
0: Yeah I've never been to Jazz Fest y'all know large crowds aren't my thing uh, but I have been wanting to go for a while now I just haven't gotten around to it but Jeff what did you think about the um, jazz festing in place from WWOZ what did you think about them kind of stepping up to do that to kind of play the the all-time greats of jazz fest
1: I love it matter of fact uh, last Sunday some friends and I we socially distanced on this let me just make that clear right (laughs) up front we all got a bunch of of crawfish uh, from a local distributor and went out to city park We, we got a spot out near the bayou under some trees, put the music on, listen to the, the Jazz Fest cubes. And it was just a great New Orleans afternoon. And we weren't alone, I can tell you, City Park was packed. Now, everybody was adhering to the, the mandates, but people just wanted to get out. And, uh, you know, I can I can tell you, I'm not, I haven't been to as many Jazz Fests as I was like, just like what JD said. I mean, usually the NFL draft's going on. I cover the Zurich Classic a lot. Uh, that's usually a conflict. But when I can steal out there, I try to get out as often as I can. Not so much even for the music, just for the event itself. I mean, there's, there's all kinds of other things to do. There's arts and crafts, you know, great, great dealers from all over New Orleans there. There's great food. We all know that. Uh, you know, there's interviews. You can get into an air-conditioned tent and listen to the interviews with the artists. There's just a lot of different things, kind of something for everyone out there. And for people watching, it's a mecca, you know, and I... I come born and raised in Louisville, Kentucky. I go to the Kentucky Derby. That's our big event every year. It reminds me of that. You just go out there, plop down in a chair, and you can see the craziest forms of humanity (laughs) in the world at that one spot. But my favorite act is always Trombone Shorty. I'm a huge Trombone Shorty fan. He closes it down every year. Uh, Mega talent, just uh, gives a great effort for every show. And I'm just holding out for Cameo. I'm, I'm dying to get Cameo here for uh, you know, uh, uh, some kind of show, because they're like my ultimate band. And I keep waiting for them to, to make an appearance, much like we see with Frankie Beverly
2: and ja- um, Maze every year. Well, J.D., they came, came for the very first Essence, and I have not seen them back in New Orleans since then. And maybe they've been in, and I just don't know. But they came from for the first Essence, wore it out. Larry Blackman wore yeah. it out. Well, Got to get them back.
0: J.D., I appreciate you uh, volunteering to buy us tickets for next year's J- Jazz Fest. I you know, I love you as my co-host, so thank you so much for volunteering to do that. I can't wait to go with you next year. Um, Jeff, we appreciate you coming on the show today. We'll let you go uh, as we're about to jump on this next call, but appreciate you. Thanks for all your insight, as always.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. You all stay safe and uh, stay sane if you can. Yeah, We'll do the best we can. And, Caroline, as
2: long as I owe you, you'll never be broke.
0: Thanks to Jeff for joining us on the show today. Uh, Next week, we'll go into our one podcast a week platform as things have wrapped up on the same side uh, as far as draft and things like that. But we do want to keep you entertained. So we'll just go down to one podcast a week. We're not set on what day it is, but we'll be sure to communicate that with you uh, as we know more. Thanks so much for listening. Uh, As Jeff said, stay sane and stay safe. And we'll see you next week.